welcome to the What If Movie Podcast, the movie podcast that simply asks, what if? I'm Hannah. I'm Bryce. And I'm Josh. And today we're going to be talking about what if Jaws was never made. Um, and it was a hoot rewatching. Did you guys have fun? Oh, so much I fun. I did. Jaws is always a good movie to rewatch. And it reminds you, like, not only is it iconic, but it's just straight up a good movie, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Definitely one of my top five movies of all time. Of all time. Big statement. Big statement. It really is for a movie guy like Josh. Yeah. Okay, so Bryce, why don't you give us a little recap of the movie? Yeah, for those of you who um, don't remember Jaws, uh, 1975 summer blockbuster directed by Steven Spielberg, score, notably, by John Williams. Uh, Chief, Chief Brody is the kind of new chief of police in the town of Amity, which is a coastal summer community. And just before the beginning of the summer tourism season, there is a shark attack. And Chief Brody wants to close the beaches, but finds opposition from the business owners in the town who depend on uh, summer tourism. But eventually, after a series more shark attacks, he goes out with uh, an oceanographer named Hooper and a salty old sea captain named Captain Quint to go out, hunt down, and catch this, or hunt down and kill this great white shark. So the entire second half of the movie is kind of them pursuing this shark that they find out is very large. Uh, Quint gets eaten by a shark, as his whole life had been leading up to. The uh, their boat should have had a bigger one, but is ultimately destroyed by the shark. But they do eventually kill the shark and make it back to shore. It's a movie that synopses very quickly because to, to be honest, not that much happens aside from the people who get eaten by sharks. But this movie does a lot with relatively, um, a relatively simple story. Yeah. It, it, it's very impactful. That is for darn sure. Um, so I kind of thought we could break this down into a few sections, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, but do you guys remember the first time you saw this movie? I, I don't think I do. I, do. I Like, I, I don't know. I don't think I have a recollection of I'm going to sit down and watch Jaws. But I think partly because culturally it is so iconic that you know things about it before you see it. You know, like the music mm -hmm. and... Yeah, like so many movies for me, I think this is one that it was probably only a few years ago that I actually remember like sitting down and I am going to watch Jaws. And in watching it, even if it was the first time I actually saw it from beginning to end, nothing was a surprise to me because everything is so uh, culturally ingrained. So yeah, I honestly don't remember the first time that I saw this movie. I bet Josh does. Josh always remembers. You know, I, I can't... I know that my dad and I watched it together, and there are uh, a handful of movies where I know either my dad was sitting down to watch it, and I was like, oh, what are you watching? And he goes, oh, you should watch this with me. Or he's like, no, we're going to watch this movie. And I don't remember which one of those Jaws was, but it was definitely one where the first time I saw it was with my dad. So he grew up on the East Coast, and so he knows that flavor of people and that sort of culture and so I think he resonates with the movie uh, very well and so he was just kind of able to bring me into that uh, mindset as we sat down and watched this movie and uh, it's funny because another thing that we watched a lot together was the show House 
And if you're familiar with the very end of the show, like at the end of very at the very end of each episode, they always have all of the production studios. And one of the production studios is Some Bad Hat Harry Productions. And you see this animated version of uh, of Harry, and then you hear the the, the line repeated that Some Bad Hat Harry uh, from from Jaws. And so uh, I always think back to the movie whenever we watched an episode of that. Uh, I think Jaws also ruined fishing for me because this is like the penultimate <laughs> fishing story, whereas like you fish and you kill a great white shark. Uh, fishing for me always seems so boring because I wasn't out on a boat pursuing a 20, no, 25-footer uh, great white shark. Yes. <laughs> I mean, a little hard to do in the lakes of North Dakota. Right. <laughs> They're not known for their shark population. <laughs> I it was not until rewatching this that I realized this movie is rated PG and I maybe questioned that rating a little bit. I think at the time I don't think there was a PG thirteen uh. rating at the time. I don't think that was such a thing. You're right. Yeah, no, there was no PG thirteen, so it was either PG or R. Sure. So, right. Okay. Well. But yeah, but in our kind of mindset now, where we think PG PG thirteen R, as you watch Quint get it, it's a fairly long scene as he's yeah. getting eaten by the shark, and you're he's like, oh yeah. Some parental well, and that's at the end, but yeah. the very first scene of the movie is this girl just shrieking in fear and pain, and that yep. is a scary sequence right off the bat in this movie. That first scene is the best one, I think. Yeah, which we can we can gush later. Okay, gush Don't, later. Yeah, it'll come, guys. Don't worry, we can gush later. So as we kind of get into this, um, we kind of thought we could break this into a few categories of answering this question. What if Jaws was never made? Um, and so we'll kind of, I'll just run through those real quick and then we can kind of backtrack and start answering these questions. So what would be different in the filmmaking world or about filmmaking if Jaws was never made? What would we miss from the movie? We can gush in that section, right? So what's so great about the movie that mm-hmm. would be terrible to miss? And then culturally what would be different if this movie was never made um so i think there's probably some overlap in these sections a little bit too and that's good and cool um i would just a caveat Ooh, caveat i know i was thinking about this and i just want to i don't think we would do this because we do this for fun and we want to like actually answer the question i would prefer that we not just say well someone would have done it eventually Right. right. That's not answering the question. That's no fun. That's not going to be fun to listen to. So, yes, that's probably true, but let's pretend like it wouldn't happen mm-hmm. because that would be way Although more I do think it's fair to, to imagine fair that if somebody else did this movie, uh, you know, maybe it was in 1975 or maybe years later, uh, how that movie would look because this movie... You yeah, know, it has such a, a distinct uh, look to it. And so how different those would mm-hmm. be. And then, uh, you know, some of the stuff that we'll talk about filmmaking uh, and storytelling, um, you know, we can get into this a little bit later. But one thing I'll I'll say now is that in the original book, because this is based off uh, a, a novel, mm-hmm. Hooper has an affair uh, with Brody's wife. And so... Yeah, I and read so that. that would be very different if if somebody else had made the movie. You know, if they would have incorporated things, more things from the book or less things from the book. So, but but I didn't look at this 
uh, question in that way either. So I don't think we will end up talking too much about it. I didn't think we would. Yeah. I just like specific elements, you know, like certain, you know, like when uh, Brody's sitting on the beach and the little boy gets attacked and the kind of the zoom and and pull out at the same time like there's a specific name for that but they kind of call it the jaws zoom do they call Um, the jaws zoom i thought that was a hitchcock thing well but that's the reverse the reverse shot is kind of hitchcockian yeah so so like to say you know yes it's in jaws and yes it's in other movies but like someone would have done it eventually like that's just not a fun way to answer that question so like yes someone else can figure out how to make that shot yes john williams could compose this music for any other movie like but that's not fun so let's you feel strongly i do i feel strongly and like like i said i don't think we would do that because we do this podcast because we like talking about these hypotheticals but i just want to throw that out there uh a lot of people might say oh that's the jaws effect because that's probably what most people see first I think more, pe- more people have an exposure to Jaws exactly. than they do Hitchcock films. So they say, oh, that thing from Jaws. And then film nerds can push up their glass and say, well, actually, that was from Hitchcock. Well, actually. Well, actually. <laughs> Fair enough. And yeah, I, I corrected you. And I should say the information I'm going off of is like the trivia on IMDb that like the Hitchcock is the reverse. Right. Lens okay, do effect. you remember? I don't know what it's Josh, called. the name. I used to know the name of that. Uh, zoom when you um zoom in on this but zoom out on the other well, well yeah, yeah you're zooming in well are your the zoom is doing the opposite thing right as the so camera itself so, is doing um, so it leads to yeah a, i was just listening about this on a different podcast about jaws uh but the way that you do it the camera on a dolly <laughs> and the camera goes forward and you zoom out or the camera mm-hmm. goes back and you zoom in Zoom so out. yeah, there's that opposite effect. And you zoom in, yeah. So I don't know. And which I don't remember used, what it's called off yeah. either. I anyway, don't know if you wanna, if we should vamp so somebody can look it up, but probably like, yeah, vamping, I'll, vamping, vamping. I'll, I'll bring it up in like 20 minutes. Let <laughs> me get my phone to turn back on. But anyway, let's kind of attack this first section of of topics here. So, what would be different about filmmaking in general? If Jaws was never made, what what's maybe like the top thing for you guys? Well, the, just the first thing started. I wrote in my notes, so I guess maybe that's the top thing, uh, organization wise on my notes. Like literally, it's above the thing I put after it. Yep, uh, is, <laughs> the top is yes. the score. Right, <laughs> films have to have scores, and the score in this movie. Uh, the, mm-hmm. the one famous villain themes of all time, right? Probably even more famous than the M- uh, Imperial March for Darth mm-hmm. Vader, uh, is is two notes. Yeah. Right. Yep. Dun dun. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, and I was reading that Spielberg didn't even really care he uh, for this theme when uh, John Williams. Uh, played it for him the first time he th- he thought he was joking like is is that really it we're gonna create this ominous music and it's just gonna be done by by two notes what are you thinking here and what uh he was thinking was pure genius which williams is so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. absolutely yeah and it really i think took his career to the next level just kind of pushed him into major success john williams and the movie would be so different without the score and I think you're right that movie making in general I actually I also my top my first thing I wrote down was the score um just because it is so 
Yeah, and I don't want to say that, oh, it's just the shark theme that is iconic from this movie. Some of the more lighter moments when they're just uh, going out on the ocean, like when they first head out to to, uh, find the shark, Quint Hooper and Brody, there's just this... Uh, such this happy nautical theme that's playing, and it's it juxtaposes the fearful music that is to come later. In that, you know, the, I think this movie does these um, these motifs of scores for different characters, or especially for the shark. Right, you know what is going on with that shark, even though we don't see him, and, I, mm-hmm. and that's you know another yep. part of the filmmaking that we'll get to in a moment, but. Uh, the music is is the shark, right? Because we aren't able to get to the shark as much as Spielberg would like, uh, Williams has has taken charge of uh, mm-hmm. what that shark is doing through music, and so that's something that is uh, really stands out in Jaws. Yeah, and I think that was probably my top thing too was the score. Since that's been twice overtaken, I think my next top thing in terms of filmmaking is kind of that less is more yeah. principle. The ability to and um, I don't have to caveat it because that was our blanket caveat. Yeah. You know, this not necessarily like the first film that ever did this, but I think does it really well where you really build this tension because of what you don't see. Like we know exactly what the monster in the is in this movie there's no mystery mm-hmm. like we know it's a shark there's a shark i mean i think on the even the original movie poster there's a big shark we know it's a big shark attacking people but the fact that we hardly ever see this big shark until the very end of the movie or we see just glimpses of it or just its face um really does so much to to build attention and i think that the impression that left on filmmaking is mm-hmm. evident ever since i would agree with you kind of that hidden threat which I think just as humans, things that we cannot see mm-hmm. are 10 times scarier than things we can, right? We're not designed to be in the dark, literally or kind of metaphorically, too. And so, um, yeah, kind of that what's lurking in the water, right? Or what's around that corner? What's a, what's in the dark corner over there? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like kind of Josh referenced, and I think a lot of people know, that was not intentional necessarily because the the shark mal- malfunctioned so much in the seawater. Um, Spielberg had to really rein in how much we saw of it, and he basically had to kind of remake the movie without it um, in a lot of scenes. And I mean, it, it worked, right? It paid off yeah. and kind of that forced restraint, which he didn't want to do originally necessarily. And it, I think it probably taught him a really great lesson as a young director. And that's part of me always thinks that these kind of few decades, 70s, 80s, even the 90s a little bit, there is it's kind of an era of filmmaking that will never be able to get back just because of some of those restraints that you had to work around. And I think like in this case resulted in a much better film. Mm -hmm. There was the technology to do certain things. We can see the entire shark, but because there were, again, these technological restraints, we're not able to quite portray this convincingly. It forces the filmmaker to make probably some difficult choices, but I think ultimately now looking, you know, decades later, um, ended up being very good things for the, the afterlife of the film. Yep. And that's something that, by and large, I think filmmakers don't uh, run into now, or not in the same way. And I think you're right that that just kind of that less is more as a, a thriller aspect mm-hmm. in movie making 
you can see it in so many movies after this, especially kind of the science fiction genre. Alien is a great example where, you know, kind of until the very last part, you don't really see the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I think it, you see that in a lot of movies and you see it before this too, right? It's a little Alfred Hitchcock um kind of making benign places scary, right? Psycho made the shower a terrible place to be and Jaws made the water a terrible place to be um, just because of that unknown what could be out there. If you didn't have thalassophobia before, you do now. You do now. (laughs) Yeah, and I think another thing that really probably changed movie making in general was this was the first ever summer blockbuster. I mean, this movie made so much money so fast. Um, And it was the first kind of good movie that came out in the summer previous to this. Summer was kind of where you dumped your your crummy stuff because nobody went to the movies in the summer anyway. Um, And so for good or ill, perhaps, Mm -hmm. It kind of allowed movie studios to learn that movies could make money quickly. Um, And a lot of people would go to see a movie if it had X factors, you know. Yeah, there's actually quite a few things that that influenced this sort of summer blockbuster that really emerged with Jaws and and I would argue is really a setup for Star Wars. If we don't have the success of Jaws, we don't have the success of Star Wars two years later. Um, Blockbuster, you know, really came into the cultural zeitgeist of the mid 70s with Jaws, literally referring to the lines of people who were uh, waiting outside, uh, flooding the sidewalk blocks to to see the movie. And so, um, you know, it really refers to this kind of event film of the summer, which, you know, we are no stranger to now uh, with with Mm -hmm. so many tentpole movies from all of the movie studios uh, throughout the summer. Um, And and he's even spilling into the spring now. We had Black Panther uh, already. Mm -hmm. And so uh, movies are even coming out earlier now because... um, because this blockbuster is is something that all of the studios are trying to um, get some of that money off of, uh, and that started with Jaws. Uh, as you said, Hannah, um, you know, this film was actually supposed to come out in December, and it wasn't ready. The shooting schedule went like 100 days over schedule, and so they just weren't mm-hmm. ready, and so they were like, well, I guess we'll, we'll try it in June. Uh, there, there had been moderate success beforehand. So Universal, and you know, I think we got to give a lot of credit to Universal for trying all these things. To June, really starting uh, a mass release. Um, at the time, movies just kind of they were released in a few theaters, and then a few more the next week, and then a few more and a few more. Whereas uh, with Jaws, this is one of the first movies where it opened wide in hundreds of screens across the country. And so Mm. uh, to be able to get that big audience, they started marketing on television. And that was something that hadn't really been done before. Television was very much a competition to the cinemas prior to this. And so they didn't really want to be uh, crossing streams. And so... Uh, again, Universal was like, "Well, why don't we, why don't we try this? Because we're going to be, be we're going to be releasing it in June, which is typically, as Hannah said, kind of the dumpster time of movies, 
and uh, we're going to be releasing it mm -hmm. to a mass audience at that time, so we need to make sure that a lot of people know about it. So they put almost $100,000 into television marketing. Now, again, TV spots you know, are nothing new. We're inundated with them for all of the blockbusters nowadays. You've got trailers for trailers nowadays. Mm -hmm. I just saw in my Instagram feed yesterday there was a little gif of solo trailer dropping tomorrow. It's, we've got we've literally got trailers for trailers now, and and so uh, and then right? the other thing the other thing I wanted to mention was um, toy merchandise. There hadn't been a whole lot of toy merchandise, mm. and this is one of those big things. You know, I said that uh, I think this is a predecessor for the su success of Star Wars. Uh, George Lucas took to, oh, Spielberg made money by making uh, toys for this movie. Uh, Lucas went on to request all of the merchandising rights uh, when he made Star Wars, mm -hmm. uh, thus making all the money. And he made tons, and that's how he was, he, that's how he was able to make the rest of his movies is because... Uh, the studio was like, oh, yeah, you can have, you know, whatever rights you want to make, whatever toys you want, George. And it just blew up. And so uh, kind of those things. You fools, <laughs> this universe is filled with uh, toys. Really <laughs> affected, you know, now is the summer blockbuster. Mm -hmm. And like you said, Hannah, for better or for worse. Right. I mean, there's go. some terrible summer blockbusters out there. Mm -hmm. And kind of this idea that, like, if a movie doesn't make a billion dollars it's just garbage right like and and that's not true and the converse is true that like a movie that makes a billion dollars isn't a good movie yeah often i think another potentially filmmaking thing from what i understand anyway even though there were all the troubles with bruce the animatronic shark from what i understand the fact that that um animatronic device was convincing in the scenes where it worked kind of became the progenitor for later um, uses of animatronics could um, be both yeah. in star wars and i know especially jurassic later park. in jurassic park yeah i think it really probably gave spielberg the confidence that this can work you know i right, know i can, can do this yeah and that the money potentially invested pays off right because mm -hmm. jurassic park's another huge blockbuster that made a lot of money right um and i think people just like monster movies and so maybe that's kind of the launching point of like ooh, a monster movie there's a a nice coin in my piggy bank that you can rely on, right? You know it's mm -hmm. going to make money. I mean, not working for Universal recently, but... Well, no. Um, but yeah, I think kind of, you know, to your point of maybe this... It's a great thing because we ended up with a lot of good movies, a lot of good movie concepts and themes. And then we also probably ended up with studios just throwing effects and throwing plot devices and throwing whatever at a movie in an attempt to kind of make it a blockbuster when it probably yeah, just the doesn't last have the chops. that I think that we miss out on in filmmaking would be Steven Spielberg. I mean, this was his second movie uh, that he'd ever made. The first mm -hmm. one was mm. Duel, uh, a movie about a guy being chased by a semi-truck. Uh, almost kind of like uh, Jaws, right? People being chased by big monsters. Uh, yeah, a little monster <laughs> movie. the success of this movie <laughs> and this movie being made by Spielberg, maybe we don't get the Spielberg that we get uh, post-Jaws. Oh, man. And I don't want to live in that world. I know. It sounds terrible, doesn't it? And I think maybe you know this, Josh, that he was Spielberg was like the third choice. Someone turned it down, and then they had 
kind of halfway hired somebody else, but he kept referring to it as a whale instead of a shark. And so they're kind of like, no, please go away. (laughs) And then Spielberg was really excited about it, but they weren't. It was a risk, right? He's 26 years old or something like that, had only done this one movie. And um, so they kind of took a risk on him and paid off for everybody, clearly. But yeah, I think you're right. The movie universe would be a sad place without Steven. Oh, Steve. Oh, Steve. Alrighty, so moving on, here's where we can gush a little bit. Um, So just from the movie standpoint, what if Jaws was never made? What would we be missing out on from the film itself? Everything out of Quint's mouth. (laughs) Everything out of Quint's mouth. I know. Best of swimming with bow legged women. women. I seriously, perhaps one of like the best movie characters of all time. Um, I think as a a person, Robert Shaw was not great to work with. I think he had an alcohol problem and was pretty mean uh, to the rest of the crew and cast, um, but ended in a pretty great performance. Mm -hmm. Um, Some of the trivia, true or not, who knows. Um, the scene where he's talking about the USS Indianapolis, they had shot it and he had been drunk at the time because he basically used it as an excuse because they were supposed to be drinking in the scene. Um, And it was terrible and they had to trash it all and he felt so bad about it that he came back and they filmed it in one take then. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true, but it's a great scene. Fabulous scene, yeah. Especially because it occurs between these like real tense um, kind of sequences and then they're all just kind of sitting around and putting putting aside some of these right. antagonisms that have come up between them, especially between uh, Quint and Hooper. I love that scene. It's a great scene. Yep. And I know, Josh, we had kind of referenced earlier that first scene um, with the the swimmer in the beach right in the beginning of the movie where she's getting thrashed around in the water and screaming and getting pulled under and just the practical effects that they used in that scene are phenomenal. It's so lifelike. It is terrifying. That scene makes me nervous still as an adult. So what they did is they literally had tied her up, uh, and then there were people on the shore that were pulling her back and forth manually. Yeah, like to 300-pound weights, right? Something like insane, like these giant weights to kind of make it jerkier or something. Mm. Yeah, insane. Sounds painful. I don't know if it was. <laughs> Yeah, we get so many great genre moments in the movie. Uh, Like for horror, you said the girl dying. Another few for me that really just stuck out, especially when I was younger watching this movie, uh, was when Hooper goes to explore that one boat and the head pops out, Mm -hmm. that that guy's head. Oh, man, just Mm -hmm. freaks me out. It's a jumper. Yep. And uh, little strings coming out of the eye socket. Oh, like a... And then the other amoeba. one too is is when, um, when that guy's leg falls to the bottom of the ocean, and you can see like yes. all of the skin and the ligaments and stuff floating down with it, mm-hmm. and it's, uh, yep. all bloody. It's it's great. Yep, there's just like you said, great moments. I know about the the head scene that was not originally in the movie, and Steven Spielberg saw in like some test screenings how effective the the shark scenes were and people were really scared and so he says he got a little like he got a little overzealous he got reached too high (laughs) and added this other scene in because he wanted another jump scene another scare scene and i I, he's kind of said he wishes he hadn't done it Hmm. but they had they filmed it later but i think it's a great scene i think it adds a lot because 
you know, I think up until then, you haven't really seen, you know, they haven't really shown a lot of the damage, right? Like the girl in the first, you just kind of see a hand. You don't really see damage. The boy is just kind of gone. It's just blood in the water. But that one, like, there's just a head floating mm-hmm. around. You know, I, I don't know. I think there's something powerful to it. Yeah, I'm not convinced it would be worse without it. I don't think it'd be worse, but I don't think it's a bad scene. Yeah. I think I, the score can go back into this section, too. Oh, absolutely. I th- yeah. I think it's just, it's a fantastic artistry and, um, you know, what it basically does, right? In the movie, it trains us that, okay, we hear this music, we know the shark is around. And then later, towards the end of the movie, they trick us, right? The shark shows up without the music. Mm-hmm. And that's where you kind of get that, oh, crap, I didn't see that one coming. And so it's kind of this this perfect little ploy right it's a perfect yeah. trick for us i think we're it's when picking hooper, up on patterns yeah i think it's when hooper's in the cage right yeah um because i remember i was like we were watching it just yesterday and i was gonna make some kind of smart joke like oh why don't these guys just listen for the music if you hear the music the shark's coming and then the shark came and without the came music and you didn't know <laughs> which yeah is brilliant um is. and that kind of interplay between the the movie itself and the music, like like you said, Josh, the music really is a character in the movie to a great extent. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has the, to except the score has the charisma that the shark does not, which I think is so interesting. The quote unquote villain of this movie is a completely uncharismatic right. uh, villain. And so often we talk about um, villains needing charisma. Um, and I think this, you know, or maybe it's a charisma of a different kind. Um, but I think this is a, a good counter example to that. Mm hmm. I also think, you know, for good or ill, Steven Spielberg just had it in his head that this needed to be shot on the actual ocean. I think it ended up being a great thing. I know that's part of why it took so long to film and they had all these things go wrong and they dropped some film in the ocean and like cameras got soaked and and one of the boats actually sank with the actors on it and all the equipment. And I mean, like all this stuff went wrong. But can you imagine if it had been filmed on a studio or on a lake or in a pool? I mean, I'd, I don't know if you'd get the same effect because it really is isolating, right? Mm-hmm. You can't see land. And he was very conscious about that, making sure that the cameras aren't picking up land in the distance because they were like 12 miles offshore right. or something. Um, but, you know, you, you're you isolated just like the characters are. And kind of those shots from in the water, like if you're in the water, you know, the, the camera's mm-hmm. right here at the water's edge. And I don't, just some of these effects are well, it is, so It is powerful. so effective because the, the first hand of the movie is kind of the shark incurring into man's territory. And then the second half is kind of man incurring into the shark's mm-hmm. territory. So you really have this shift in where the uh, um, actors, not in the sense of people playing in a movie, but the uh, the agents in this movie are. Um, and yeah, I think you that think is about really the- effective. Mm-hmm. And oh, of I was going to say, and then at the end of the movie, too, the isolation for Brody, who thinks, oh, man, Quint and Hooper are both dead. I just killed this shark, but my boat is completely destroyed. What am I going to do now? And then we kind of get that mm-hmm. little second scare of, oh, mm-hmm. there's something else in here. But then it, it is Hooper, and he survived, and uh, now they just have to kick away back to shore and... uh yeah, it seems like mm-hmm. so mad at that. Now we just have to swim to shore and everything's done. All right. 
Very and it is, and the movie ends so quickly after that. Yep. I'm always kind of surprised. Like they're, you know, camera kind of a wide shot with the camera with them in the distance going yeah, to what shore, day is it today? and then the credits uh, start Tuesday? rolling. Tuesday. Um, Tuesday. <laughs> yep. It's a. It's actually really just kind of an unpretentious ending. It's pleasant. And it's like it. It's like we told the story. We're done. Right. Nothing else to tell. And nary a I shark was ever seen is again. A testament to to the comedy of this film. And I think a lot of the comedy centers around Hooper, I really find he's really, uh, uh, and some of it is at his expense, but uh, actually a lot of it is at his expense, you know, uh, very much, you know, these three guys are, are outsiders uh, to each other and to everybody else. Hooper is just kind of this nerdy science shark geek, and then uh, Brody is, you know, doesn't like the water. Right, he lives on. I love that line when he says, "Well, it's only an mm-hmm. island if you look at it from the water." And then, and then Quint is just, yep. just crazy. He's mm-hmm. just Quint. I know. I love it. Yeah, even among a a, a community filled with kind of salty sea captain types, like he's he's a little, the weird one. <laughs> yep, a little out there and weird for them. Yep. A lot of great, just like one-liners too from the movie. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, you're gonna, uh, we're gonna need, or you're gonna, you're need, gonna a need a bigger boat. boat. We're gonna need a bigger boat. You're okay. gonna, you're gonna, yep. you're gonna need a bigger boat. Yep. Great jokes. I think a lot of it was kind of improvised, and um, because of all the shooting problems and just the delays, a lot of times I think they were writing the script bef- the night before they were gonna film for the day, and so potentially that led to some more of that mm-hmm. kind of just perfect little wit it's not too much but it's just enough lightens the mood enough because you you wouldn't want this movie to just be like so heavy yeah. and dark and scary all the time yeah. well even when uh when brody is yelling at his son who's sitting yep. in his boat by the dock and, and the wife's like, like oh, oh you know it's fine then she opens the book and sees the illustration of a shark eating a boat yeah, you exactly. heard your i love too it's, it's kind of some dark humor too because like when hooper uh, it's trying to get those guys out of the boat. And then he asks, can you tell me if there's a good restaurant or hotel on the island? And the fishermen are like, yeah, you walk straight ahead into the water. And, and Hooper just goes like, ha ha, they're all going to die. And, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, and, then, uh, and then you kind of get uh, <laughs> yep. a joke at the fisherman's expense, too, when, when they caught the tiger shark. And the fisherman goes, well, what kind of shark is it? And Hooper goes, it's a tiger shark. And then the fisherman goes, oh, what? <laughs> <laughs> it's, yep. it's a lot of good and just like very human humor. Yeah. In here. I would say, yeah, none of it seems forced. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like, oh, they're trying to get the jokes in, trying to lighten the mood. You know, it's just like how people would react to a, you know, a really stressful situation. And we do. We use humor to mm-hmm. kind of lighten the mood and make ourselves do what we don't want to do. And um, so, yeah, I think. Overall, just like great performances too, and um, you know, relatively kind of unknown people at the time. He could have gone for some big names and didn't, because um, I think that could have detracted potentially from the story. Yeah, Richard Dreyfus really um, yeah. hadn't done a whole lot at that point, and he actually turned the film down uh, the first time that he was asked. I think he'd to done one other movie. Later on, he he decided to work on it. But yeah, I too think that there are just so many great character moments and some really good drama throughout the film. As well, you know, I mean, this this movie just kind of you think it's a horror movie. It has a horror movie elements certainly, but it's also very funny, as we said. But it's also kind of just has this drama where it really centers around 
around characters. Um, I love that scene mm-hmm. um, between Brody and his son when they're just sitting at the table and and it's right after Brody gets slapped yep. by mm-hmm. the mom of the kid who died. He's just reflecting about, you know, this is my fault. You know, uh, the mayor says, oh, she's, you know, she's wrong. But he says, no, she's right. And he's just reflecting on this. And then he's got his son next to him and his son just starts copycatting him because, you know, that's what kids do. And it's just a it's just a great way to kind of break this that's tension. Dad, yeah. and. Uh, and also just kind of make him be reflective of, you know, what if I lost my son? And then that really escalates later on in the film when he tells Michael, his other son, to to play in the pond area so that he isn't by the shark. And then that's in, that's where the shark ends up later. And uh, then the younger kid is crying afterwards mm-hmm. and everything. Mm-hmm. And it's just really, uh, you know, they really get some good um, real character moments out of the movie, too. Yep, I I definitely agree. And that's um something I was reading too is that uh the in the novel the creators of the movie just like hated all the characters. They just decided they were not likable. And so basically I think the first, you know, two thirds or half of the movie is not at all like the book. Um and they kinda the shark hunt, once we get to the actual the guys on the boat, that's a little closer to the novel, but they basically just like trashed the first part because they thought the characters were so unlikable. <laughs> um, which was obviously the right choice. I know I I want to read the book now so I can be that person when someone brings up Jaws, be like, Well, you know, novel. actually in the book in the original <laughs> novel. No one wants you to be that guy. <laughs> no one wants anyone to be that guy. But you know, I think and this kind of gets both at what we'd miss from the movie and what filmmaking would be missing in general is kind of the examples of doing these things well, you know, showing that a tense horror movie can also have these very human moments that aren't necessarily just to set up something horrifying later. Like that, the moment with um, Brody and his son. You know, it's not because they need us to feel real bad when his son dies later because his son doesn't die later. Right. Um, it's just to give these these human moments to reflect what's going on in the characters. And so I think uh, filmmaking as a whole would be poorer and may never have figured out how to do some of these things without that. Potentially the world. I'm not convinced they have figured out how to do these things. Given Sometimes not. How aggressively we well, are I told think that really to feel feelings about characters. Care. You know, every care movie so studio much. is trying to get those blockbusters made and make a billion dollars. And the ones that do succeed are the ones that take time to develop those human parts of the movie as well. We talked about the Indianapolis speech mm-hmm. scene, but I really like just the scar scene right before that. You know, it leads up to this speech, but I love when when they're done, and then Brody just kind of mm-hmm. lifts up his shirt, mm-hmm. and you see like it's probably an appendix scar. Yeah, and so it's like, am I going to bring this up? No, I probably won't. And uh, you know, it, it's really. Um, an example of no, this a dichotomy between the characters and this almost like a class structure. You know, we have that other scene where uh, where Hooper and Quint, Quint grabs his hands. He's like, uh, these are city hands and uh, they aren't tough and, and like that. And I remember when I was younger in the movie, I even got self-conscious about my hands like, oh, I don't have I don't have strong hands. Fisherman <laughs> hands. <laughs> But to be, I mean, in that moment, then Hooper says, well, I don't got to put up with this, you know, like he knows who he is and he's not worried about it. But 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think I think that all the characters are just really well played and it is kind of those human moments that I think potentially take the movie to the next level, you know. I think it'd be a fun movie if you had all the other elements and the characters were eh, but because the characters and kind of those interactions are so top notch, I think it does just kind of elevate the movie a step above. Mm-hmm. All right, so let's move on to culturally, unless anyone has other thoughts there for the movie. All right, so culturally, what would we be missing if Jaws was never made? I would say we'd probably yes. have more sharks in the world. <laughs> no, we wouldn't be so shark. Well, actually, the author of the novel has said if he had done some shark research before writing it, he would have never written the book because they're just not like that. Um, but yeah, I know conservationists. Well, and Shark Week on people, the there's Discovery a lot of Channel is going on for how long because of ever since. this movie, kind of. Ooh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Well, and when I think it was in 2004 or something, when, like, the Today Show or someone declared, like, the summer of the shark, and they were just, like, covering shark attacks because there were, like, six that year. Ooh. And they were just covering them so intently. And, yeah, it just drove people, not unlike the movie, like, drove people into a frenzy. Mind you, in the movie, people... Many of the people aren't reacting enough to the shark attacks, but by and large, this movie has made us react way, way too, too much, much to news about shark attacks. And yes. the news knows that. And so they like intentionally zero in on those things. Yep. And not to say that sharks don't attack people, because they do. Like, obviously, we know this happens. But yeah, mm-hmm. in general, and I think especially great whites are like a lot more docile than probably a little more shy. and Something like, yeah, like six people die a year from shark yeah, attacks. It's pretty. We should all be a lot more scared about getting into our cars yeah, every like day. Yeah, like 30,000 people <laughs> die a year from car accidents in the United States. So there's, there's your PSA for there today. There you go. Buckle up, folks. Well, even the word attack almost makes it seem like the sharks are doing it maliciously, mm-hmm. whereas most of the time you're in you're in their space and yep. they think you're food. It's not like, oh, human, I eat you. Yeah, well, and that's kind of one of the things about this movie, right, is that the, the shark is not necessarily attacking people to eat them. No, he's just It's mean. attacking people, <laughs> yeah, to uh, um Well, I think in the them. second half it seems like it is going after them it literally jumps on the boat so that it can eat them yeah well and in the um hooper has kind of a line during the autopsy it says like uh consistent with a a non-frenzied feed um yeah Yeah. non-frenzied feed from a shark you know like a shark that isn't hungry and so there's kind of this like throughout it's not necessarily the eating it's the killing yeah and then at the end it's definitely like it's personal yep (laughs) i'm gonna eat you in particular yes and your boat But yeah, definitely a shark PSA. Don't just like kill a shark because it's there. Mm -hmm. Maybe, you know, I think I did read something after this movie came out um, somewhere, a beach. People got into a frenzy because there was a pod of dolphins nearby in the water. And so everyone ran out of the water for these dolphins. And then later, too, I think some people beat to death a beached baby whale because they mistook it for a shark so like definitely some terrible environmental things happened i, I feel like those uh <laughs> they're small those anecdote, little, yeah. but they really illustrate that like sharks are not the terrible people right. people are the people terrible are people. The terrible people yeah so, okay so obviously yeah. a lot of sharkophobia yes definitely result, and maybe we would have been saved a little bit from it without jaws also we would never be able to joke in the office when your boss is coming 
I was say, you know, we've mentioned the score a number of <laughs> no, times, but, but the applicability it has to like any foreboding situation. Exactly. The villain is coming. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't know if there's any other it's like there's other really famous scores, but there is there any other score that is as evocative of a particular feeling that score? Because you can yeah, you can do that. You can go dana dana. Whether or not, and probably usually not, if the situation has anything to do with sharks. So it's not just a reference to the movie. Right. It's a reference to kind of the emotional atmosphere they're creating. And I can't think of any other, especially score that you can sing four notes of, which is just two <laughs> notes twice, um, that has accomplished that same thing. So yeah. I think culturally I it's huge. I, yeah, I think the music for sure, or at least the shark theme uh, for sure, has probably internationally... Mm-hmm changed culture as far as that goes you know you can you could probably sing that to anybody in the world not maybe not in the third world but you know and and they would know what you're talking mm-hmm. what you mean you don't even have to speak the same language and you could get across a message just by singing those notes well and and i think that kind of goes along with all the pop all i think that goes along with a lot of the pop why can i i think that goes along with a lot of the pop culture references uh, that have been made post-Jaws about Jaws. Uh, One in particular that stands out to me is in Back to the Future 2, when he goes into the future there, and it's like Jaws 19. And so, (laughs) uh, and then it's all 3D, and it's coming at him, and he thinks that it's going to eat him because he's not used to that. So we get some great references to Jaws in other movies. Um, Kevin Smith makes a lot of Jaws references in uh, his movies. He he makes one in Clerks. And then also three of the characters, three of the main characters in Mallrats are named after characters in Jaws. And one of the characters' prime motivations of marrying uh, his girlfriend is he wants to uh, marry her on the Universal Studios ride, uh, on the Jaws ride at Universal Studios. And so... (laughs) Uh, that movie really uh, affects those two movies. One well, and you know, you point out that there are there are sequels to this movie. There's a Jaws two and a Jaws yeah. three. I have not seen any of them. I don't know. I haven't either. But there's a lot of shark movies out there in the world, or like sea creature movies. Without Jaws, we might never have Sharknado, Sharknado or Sharknado two or Sharknado three. I think there's a Sharknado four. I know. There is five Arknado. It's Sharknado <laughs> with a five instead of an S. So, but yeah, kind of this idea of like, wow, that movie was really popular. Let's do it again. Forever. Forever. Uh, I know for me, one of the things that I would be affected by personally if Jaws was never made is uh, to fill any sort of audio void where I'm just either by myself or around a few different people and nobody's talking I'll or if I'm like in the car driving and I don't have the radio on sometimes I'll just randomly start singing farewell and do to you fair Spanish ladies that song is just <laughs> that's what Hannah and I were doing me literally before the podcast started yep that's what we yep. were doing for mic check it's perfect you can always break out that and show me the way to go home and just like you're the star of the show. Yep. Thanks, Jaws. Yep. 
Definitely. Well, and I think, you know, we've kind of already talked about, but that line, you're going to need a bigger boat. Again, like, I think just culturally, we probably use that and apply it to a lot mm-hmm. of things, right? Just like, this is an overwhelming situation. I think I've said it. You're going to need a bigger boat. Um, so, yeah, I mean, we just kind of have taken so much. Something about this movie just kind of captured that perfect... I don't know if it was the time, right? Maybe it was the 70s or maybe it was just the fact that it was so popular. But Mm -hmm. yeah, something about it kind of captured. Well, and I think it kind of recaptures, maybe reinvigorates something that the entire 20th century we kind of negotiated with our changing relationship to kind of man versus nature paradigm. Because, um, you know, throughout the 20th century, we're making that almost less and less relevant as our dominance over nature becomes more absolute. Whereas this movie has an expression where that's no longer the case. And so I think that element in there, largely because for the vast majority of us, it's no longer a part of our, our daily lives, at least in the, the movie watching parts of the world. Um, just bringing that back up and making that um, kind of feel real, feel relevant again is maybe something that always needs to be brought up uh, culturally, and that and this movie definitely does that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, any final thoughts for the people listening? Uh, like I said, this is one of my favorite movies of all time, and I think we've basically covered all of the reasons why. I mean, it's just so quotable, uh, you really get invested with all of the characters and they're super fleshed out and their interactions with each other are just so engaging to watch. And we get so many great scenes where they just, you know, you can uh, go on YouTube and be and just watch the Indianapolis scene. And even in that scene, you feel all the feels without having to watch any of the rest of the movie. And that's, that's one particular scene that just mm-hmm. stands alone. So I think this... Uh, movie as a whole is great, but it has so many great moments as well that just really uh, stick with you. Yeah, I think I'd second that and just point out that like movies can do a lot of things well simultaneously, and that might be best done when it is a really simple movie like this one. Maybe so. Yeah, well, I think the world would be be a much sadder. Friendlier to Shark's place. Yeah, yeah. So what if what if Jaws was never made? Bad for us, good, good for, for sharks. sharks. I think that sums it up pretty well. Uh, well, thanks for listening to this episode. What are we talking about next time, guys? So next time we're going to answer the question, what if Prometheus is good? Damn it. <laughs> hey, you can't cuss on here. That's not a world I can imagine. <laughs> No, it is a world. It, oh, what if Prometheus was good? I haven't seen it. I'm excited because I know that this is a contentious thing for Bryce and everyone else. So since years ago when this podcast was called The Beardcast um, and never really got off the ground, Josh and I have been divided on the movie Prometheus. No, I'm excited to get involved here. Let's just dive headlong into the goop of Prometheus. And see what we come up with. <laughs> it's funny because Goop plays a strong role in the movie. I figured because it does an alien too. So, you know, it doesn't play a role, but it's there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, it, it's so there in this movie. Goop. Okay. So what Goop. if Prometheus was, was good? good? I'm excited. 
Well, let us know what you think about Jaws and what the world would be like if it wasn't made. You can find us on uh, Facebook and Twitter at WhatIfMoviePod and Facebook.com slash WhatIfMoviePod. And just in case you haven't noticed, we've moved. We've moved websites. I don't I don't know. Do they notice that? I think they notice. Well, if they click the link, Maybe they'll notice that it takes them noticed. to a different place to listen to they it. They notice, Yes, right? we were on Podomatic. Now we are on Podbean, but if you're subscribed sure. to iTunes, yeah. nothing but will they, change. So subscribe to iTunes so, so that you don't have to notice anything different. Right. Because people don't like change. Yes. And while you're there, leave a review and a comment. Did right? we did, did we, we get our, our five reviews? Uh, we we did not. <laughs> Dang, uh, you've let get, me down, listeners. Did we get three reviews? <laughs> no, we didn't do it. <laughs> oh boy, guys. Guys, we need help. Help us listen to our things and and leave some reviews and talk about it amongst yourselves. <laughs> yes, five five ratings and reviews uh, uh, by May. We will we'll extend we the due date. Unlike, All for you. unlike my teacher practices, I will extend the due date <laughs> yes. for this podcast. Yes. We'll give you guys a grace period. So find us and follow on iTunes and and listen and comment and like and whatever else happens on the internet. Well, not keep it friendly. Yeah. Keep it nice. Yeah. Let's keep it this is a happy place. Keep watching movies, everyone. Yeah. And out. Bye. sing over the internet latency is a problem <laughs> the latency struggle is real uh. <laughs> i'm gonna stop recording now okay. should have stopped recording a while, a while ago, ago.